0: Hello and welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels Podcast Hour. I'm your host, Mean Kennedy. Traps and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with a disability or Someone whose work advances the disability rights movement, both locally and internationally. Denise Rosa, welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. Well, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to be one of your guests. Of course, we are so delighted to have you today. So, just to give listeners a background of you, Denise Rosa grew up in Chicago and began studying Russian in college. In 1989, she traveled to Moscow to coordinate student exchange programs and has been living in Russia since. In 1997, together with Russian colleagues from the disability rights movement, Denise set up a Russian disability NGO Perspectiva to support people with disabilities to lead full, active, and independent lives. As executive director of Perspectiva, Denise oversees the development and in implementation of programs which promote youth empowerment, equal access to education, employment, and sports. So welcome, Denise. Thank you. I know you love uh, living uh, in Russia and felt comfortable there, you know from the first time you were there in 1984, I believe. What do you like about the Russian culture and why do you think you were able to bond so quickly to the Russian people? Well, I think that's always, I
1: mean, a hard question to, to answer. I mean, why did I feel so comfortable? I don't know, but I did. I felt comfortable. I felt at home as soon as I came here. I enjoyed being here. I liked the people. I mean, I still like the people. They're, they're very, people are very hospitable, very warm, very emotional. Maybe that's what I like, too. I'm kind of an emotional. I mean, I've got lots of <laughs> emotions. Um, and, and so I just enjoyed being here. And I felt, uh, as I said, I felt very welcome from day I, th- I came here in 1984. At that time, it was still the Soviet Union. Uh, and then people were very curious and And wanting to know more about uh, America and about life in America. And I just think I liked, um, I just kind of bonded quickly with people. So I don't, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. Of course, I'd uh, I'd studied Russian, so I was anxious to improve my Russian. But I just felt really accepted very quickly. Um, And I mean, it's kind as I said, I don't know how to explain it. But all I know is when I left in 1984, Then I knew I was coming back.
0: I think some feelings, as you were saying earlier, are just hard to explain. You feel something and it's hard to explain why or what you like about it. So my next question is, where does your passion for wanting to help Russian people with disabilities come from? What inspired your drive to improve the lives of individuals with disabilities in Russia? Well, I think that when I started like
1: year, okay, years ago, I was working. First, I worked for a student exchange program, which I really liked doing. And then this when I came back in 1889, And then I was not when I came back in 89. You know, it's not like I planned to stay for the next, what? Uh, how many years is it now? <laughs> it's 30 years or it's 20 years, whatever. It's mm-hmm. 30 years. It's a long time. I mean, it was like I really planned it's like, oh, I'm going to be here in 30 years. No, of course not. But I had worked at, I was um working on, like I was the, the, the resident director of a student group, and I kept getting new student groups. And at one point, I was like, oh, I need to do something different. And I worked in a company here, and, you know, business was just starting. And I mean, there was like no, there was no business environment here. And and I thought when I did that, I did that for about a year. And I knew that that is, I mean, it was enough for, for a year for me to understand that that's not the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. That I really wanted to be in a different area, either helping people or making... See, I wanted to be able to see changes. I wanted to. I I saw people that needed. I mean, I don't like the word "help," but kind of to help people be part of society, you know, kind of to to support people. And I I think I've already, I've always felt that drive within me. And and so that's something I decided I wanted to look for something else. So I started looking for a job. Nonprofits were very new. This was 1994. And so that was the nonprofit sector didn't didn't exist before. It didn't exist. It started, um, nonprofits started developing in like 1989, 1990, um, slowly. And and I was lucky to find out about an organization, the World Institute on Disability, a nonprofit, a U.S. based in Berkeley at that time. I think they're now in, um, oh, no, they were based in Oakland. Now I think they're in Berkeley. Uh, and... They were looking for someone to head up their programs. They had just started running some programs with a local nonprofit that had only been around for a couple of years, a disability organization, the Auburn Society of Disabled People, and they needed someone to like, be the head of their office or you know, lead their office and be the, the director, the local one. Um, and I had an interview with a guy called Bruce Curtis, and Bruce then hired me for the job. And he became both my a friend and a mentor. He was my boss and Suzanne Rear, someone else was a boss. But so and so that I was pulled into this. I mean, I when I saw the job description, I thought this would be interesting for me. I wanna try this. I wanna apply
0: for so this job. You wrote that and, and you also shared just now that, you know, people with disabilities have become more visible and face less stigma, get a better education, go to public events, speak out on social media, and are generally becoming active participants in society. But they're still fighting negative attitudes, myths, and the lack of sufficient services. So what are your plans to overcome these challenges? Attitudes,
1: especially we've seen huge changes in attitudes on the part of people, just regular people, who... Didn't who previously had little or no contact with people with disabilities. I mean, I think that was a big problem. That people just didn't see or meet people with disabilities. I used to ask people, that used to be a question I would ask people. Sometimes I still do. You know, I'd say, so how many people with disabilities do you know? And they might know, name a few people. I said, but have you ever really talked to them or met with them or you just kind of know them from afar? And most people had never really sat down with a person with a disability and talked to them and they knew very little about them. So I think that was, a, you know, one of the problems with the barriers this exposure, this opportunity to meet with people. Um, Of course, and that's a problem of accessibility as well, but it's a problem of people not being at the workplace, not being in schools. So that's something we, years ago, okay, years ago, we began to realize, you know, we started working with young people. So it was this empowerment program for young people with disabilities. And of course, we slowly realized that young people were getting a really, not a very good education. And many of them, not only were they not getting a good education, but they were not um, included. So either they were getting education in special schools or they were getting education at home on the homeschool program, or some people weren't getting any education. So that became one of our priorities, education and inclusive education. Another priority solely became employment because we realized that, okay, education, yeah, if you start getting an education, what's the next step? Employment. And we saw very few people. If anybody, I mean, young people, you never saw people going, you know, going to the university. That was always a challenge. And then going off to get a job. Um, And uh, we've also leadership. So we've continued to do a leadership program. Um, So we have a program to promote inclusive education. We work with a lot of schools. We work with parents. We we provide um, training for teachers. We go into schools and we do a lot of disability awareness training and activities to raise awareness about the um, about the necessity to really promote inclusive education and why inclusive education is you know can be a very positive experience for everyone. And so we talk about that and we with with, you know, the teachers, et cetera. And there is legislation now supporting inclusive education, which wasn't, you know, which didn't exist years ago. Um, so we have that program. We also have this program, uh, a leadership program where we work with youth. So we work with teens and young people. And the goal is really to provide them with new, kind of with with the skills, but also we want to help uh, young people and teens understand that they Uh, have a huge potential. They can do a lot. Um, They can speak up for their rights. We help them become more self-assured. And the programs are being run by people with disabilities themselves. So we often, it'll be, I mean, it's not really, it's kind of peer support, but it's more bring also bringing together people in the disability community to do trainings for them. We'll do, um, we'll bring people of successfully in jobs, to come and make presentations for youth with disabilities. We also have a theater program. So we have young people who will be writing their own plays, plays about, about the lives, to, well, not necessarily about their lives, but they will, you know, it's about the lives of people around them. It's about the, their own experiences. And then we have professional actors uh, performing. And then we have our young people with disabilities also performing in some of these plays. So it's all about, so that's all. That's part of our, our leadership program. And with our leadership program, we're also looking at potential job opportunities for people with disabilities.
0: That's right. mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it's very multifaceted all, with all that you, you guys do under Perspectiva and that all the programs, I think I was reading one of the, PowerPoints for your trainings in in the um, elementary schools. I think those are really powerful, and your photography programs and mm-hmm. imaging and and perceptions of individuals with disabilities. I think exposure is very very important. Mm-hmm. I think having you who someone who's passionate about this topic and this issue, and who's willing to stick with it long term. That's the key and to see the the progress of it. I think it's because people like you who are willing to stay for the long haul that we've seen the progress that we've seen today. So I know in May of 2012, Russia ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which you you did a lot of work in this area pushing for it. How has this ratification changed the lives of people with disabilities in tangible ways today?
1: Well, I mean, it has changed the legislation significantly. And now, as I said, like inclusive education was legislation referred to uh, education for children with disabilities. And now, fortunately, in part because of the convention and whenever we had discussions with different officials, we would always... Mention that we would, you know, remind them that, oh, yes, the legislate the convention has been passed and ratified and therefore inclusive education must be part of the legislation. I mean, now I think it's taken for granted. The word inclusion, I'm telling you, the word inclusion, we started using it years ago. I mean, not in the very beginning, but years ago. And now it's a very popular word. I think most people understand it. Years ago, people used to tell us, "Oh, can't you come up with another word that's more Russian?" And now everybody uses it. So, and it's as I said, because of the convention, it also became part of legislation. Legislation has changed significantly to reflect the different articles in the convention, and I think the cities in general, cities have become more accessible. There's still a lot, you know, to be done. And a lot of change has been made in the in the way of education and a lot is happening in the way of education for children you know high school and uh, grammar school kids but also for university students providing su- support for university students or for students to study with disabilities to study at the universities and that's i mean as i said, it's still we're talking about slow i mean things have been happening very quickly but there's still, you know, of course, a lot to be done. But we see a lot of changes, transportation becoming more accessible, in part because the legislation now requires the transportation be accessible. Universities have to be accessible. Uh, of course, not all the universities are perfectly accessible, but at least they're beginning to... I mean, I think the awareness has helped the awareness change because now they understand that, you know, some of the buildings, at least some of the buildings need to be accessible. They have to provide some of the training or the... Uh, for students in an accessible building. I know a young man who uses a wheelchair, and he is an IT major, and he has been having problems because he can't... It's hard for him to get to travel to the university, and there are no good distance learning courses, IT courses. So, I mean, I think there still has a lot needs to be done, but because of the convention, the convention first has started to raise awareness.
0: Yeah, I think what the convention did while you were talking i was thinking it allowed it pushed the start button to mm-hmm. to uh, to allow for progress basically <laughs> so i see that you you know you not only as you were talking about earlier you you have people all over the world collaborating with people from various countries outside of russia and you have disabled individuals on your team as well how has this diverse and cross cultural collaboration process Push the disability rights movement forward in Russia.
1: Well, I mean, I in the very beginning, I mentioned an example which I think was important. It's when my colleagues this was years ago, so 2019, nineteen, ninety, whatever, five or 96, when people with disabilities from the disability movement in the U.S. Uh, you know came to Russia to you know talk about their experiences, to you know, in the social model of disability, and uh, do training. Most people were very surprised that it was people with disabilities coming to do the training for them. And over the course of the project, we could see how the people, local people with disabilities began to see themselves differently because they began to realize that they could be advocates, they could speak up for their rights, that people would listen if they would talk about their issues and the, the kinds of changes that need to be made. So I think it was very empowering for them to meet with other people with disabilities who had already gone through that process, who had already been, you know, had made changes in their own countries, and to talk about the changes they had made. So, I mean, that's just one example. We recently had someone from Scotland come. You talked about the experiences with employment, a person with intellectual disabilities. I mean, I think that was great. He could share his experiences and that was useful. But I was just thinking about someone who came from Ireland, a, a guy with an intellectual disability and met with some local people and met with some of our volunteers and staff and talked about his experiences as a person with intellectual disability. He lived in an institution and how he was living independently now. And I think that all of those, I mean, I could probably come up with hundreds of examples, but of course, you don't have, we don't have time to listen to them, of uh, people who have traveled to Richard Riser, someone, a guy from the UK, who um, is also a wheelchair user and who has done a lot He's a leader in the disability movement there and who also came to share his experiences, but really to promote inclusive education, because that is one of his main topics. And he met with teachers. He met with people with disabilities, because what we did, one of our goals has always been to train people with disabilities to do their own, to go out there and make their own changes in their communities. And they do their own changes or whatever, their trainings for teachers or whatever they do speaking about the different issues and why. And you talk about arguments and talk about values and things that you're not ready to do. And he would come and say, this is okay look at this. This is the different model of social model of disability and the cultural model, whatever. And then talk about how he did it and talk about how he worked with the teachers in the UK to change their attitudes. A person with a disability coming to the classroom because we've been doing disability awareness training for years. But that's a little that's kind of a different level. That's really changing the attitudes of kids but kind of bringing disability into the schools, so it's not taboo, it's part of life, you know, people with disabilities you know, wanting to be part of the community and be at the schools, etc. But he was talking more about inclusive education so it's been, I mean, over the years it's been a long time, more than 20 years having people, different people, sports, we had people come over, Paralympic athletes coming over and they might've been invited by the US embassy or by some other embassy or the UK embassy. And we would have this opportunity to meet with them. So we would, they would meet with other athletes here or they would meet with teachers and then they would talk about their own experiences. So it was always, exp- you know, this kind of sharing and I, as you said, how do, how has that changed the situation in Russia? I mean, I can't say that it's made like, you know, any huge changes, but I'm certain that it has changed the way people think. It's changed attitudes, but it's given people a different vision. It's-
0: yeah, I think it, those those kind of impacts are hard to measure, but certainly at the attitudinal level and spiritual level, and that translates to uh, more physical had, changes, rather yeah, than uh, infrastructure or policies. Yeah, And
1: we've had the opportunity to send people to other countries. Sometimes it was like a grant, not our funding, but people said, they said, oh, we want to do this program uh, for teachers or disabled activists. And we'll say, oh, and so we put together a group from different cities and then they go to the other country and sometimes we are able to make recommendations on what to see. And that's been really wonderful. So people
0: come back and say, oh my God, they, they see something that they didn't imagine. Exactly. I think now, this transitions well onto how disability is represented in the media. So as you were you know, alluding to earlier, in 2002, you founded the International Disability Film Festival, breaking down barriers. So why is it so important that persons with disabilities are portrayed in film? Well
1: first of all, people like film. <laughs> I mean, film is one of those things. And of course, there are different kinds of film. You've got feature films, you've got documentary films, you have animation, all kinds of, you know, films, short films, long. Um, But I think most people like to go to the movies, like to watch films. And it's an easy medium. I mean, it's we became convinced because we started using films in our raising awareness activities. And maybe when we started using films, we we hadn't we didn't know that we were, the films were going to have such an impact on people. But then we started using them, and we we're like, oh wow, this is amazing, because it really films they touch you, they move you emotionally. Films make you think about certain issues that you might not have thought about, and so we had people talking about things they had never talked about. We had people. Seeing the, we started with films that we brought over from the U.S. We translated them, started showing them to people with disabilities here, and talking about how people in the U.S. lived. This was two thousand. This was like nineteen ninety nine or something. I know some of the first films we showed, maybe nineteen ninety eight, and we saw how powerful these films were, and how people reacted to them. And these were people both in the disability community. These are people outside. I mean, these are people who may be like professionals. And I think then we became convinced that we needed to use film more in our work. Of course, I don't think we were thinking necessarily about our film festival, but we surely realized how powerful film could be to maybe, I mean, maybe changing attitudes. Maybe it doesn't really change attitudes, but it surely makes you think about an issue differently. It's a great way to educate people about certain things. I mean, if it's a documentary film, wonderful way to educate people about different issues from all over the world. I mean, things that they hadn't thought about, and here it is, you could think about it, you could talk about it. And we'd always, it's a great tool for discussing too, because we'd never just show a film, we'd show a film and then talk about it. And it gives role models, I mean, you've got role models in that film, you have attitudes, issues, Uh, New technologies. I mean, think all the things that you could see in a film. It's not like we didn't show films about new technologies. You know, that's not as exciting. But when you show films about people using those new technologies, that's exciting. So I think that we realized that film could just just film was amazing and could be so powerful as a tool to change attitudes or to educate people. And there's so many amazing films like Anti-Giant, Or Stanley by Stanley, an amazing film. These are short films, Stanley by Stanley, Polish film, or Hero Brother. I mean, like Stanley by Stanley is a a guy who has, um, you know, talks about um, how he has no uh, no arms and he meets this kid. So he essentially they introduce him to a kid who has no arms and and he is a role model for this kid. And he becomes friends with this kid and he becomes a mentor um and it's amazing film about sharing about how this kid who's only four years old suddenly realized that i can be independent i can be like this guy who is doing so much driving a car living he's got a wife he's got a family he's a great guy and i can be like him um or um, anti giants, and it's a, yeah, a guy who is a Canadian guy who is a wheelchair user, and he's a comedian. He's an amazing comedian, and it's about all his life. Or Harrow Brother is a film, it's so a Rayleigh film, and it's about this, uh, they decided to make this film. It's You know you see families of people, a so brother and sister, a brother without a disability, a sister with Down syndrome, or a brother with Down syndrome, and a brother without a disability. I mean, so siblings and the experiences they have and they go into the mountains they go for a trip a hike into the mountains together and it's really interesting to see how they their communication and remembering their childhood and kinds of issues that they faced as kids and siblings who have uh, a sibling without a disability with a disability. so that was an amazing film but i can tell you i mean we've had that just all of our films are amazing
0: (laughs) how can we empower more people with disabilities to want to be in film theater and the rest of the performing arts arena in russia and um, you know perhaps doing these things you know boosts that as well
1: well i mean i think you continue doing our film running our film festival we will continue doing the screenings of the festival of the films you know, in moscow and other cities i think supporting for example we have a theater program as well and as part of our th- theater program we support people with young people with disabilities to be either write plays, to participate in performances, and to somehow, and one of our goals is also to help them participate in different aspects of theater, not only in acting and in writing the plays, so that, that who knows, maybe in the end, somebody will find a uh, profession in in theater, in doing, you know, something in theater, and to continue. I and mean, I don't, like, film is a little harder, you know, to help someone, I think person needs to get an education. So I think that one of our goals is also to continually promote access to education because, you know, that's what they should have. People with disabilities need to have the opportunity to go to film schools to get an education. I know there is a film project in Russia now. It's outside the university, but they have some funding to run a film school. And so, and I know that they visited our film festival. Uh, but I think it's always by promoting... People, I mean, by I mean, I can't say that what we're doing is necessarily promoting people, but I know that we we have been always like even at our film festival, we had this year and two years ago, we had discussions, we had roundtables on the topic of how to help people with disabilities be more involved in the film industry, in theater, in the performing arts, and to be supported of having people without disabilities playing these roles, but having people with disabilities. So we've started the discussions and I don't think, I mean, we're surely nowhere near what's happening in, I mean, see what's happening in the UK and with the US in promoting people with disabilities in these, instead of having hiring people without disabilities, people with disabilities in these roles. I mean, I think one issue is getting people in Russia, getting filmmakers to make more films about this issue, you know, disability issues. I mean, if it were about heroes or what, I mean, heroes, not the word, good word, but the main characters, you know, people with disabilities focus on what we're doing and do it well. So I would say continue with our film festival, but I know that at our film festival and in our rhetoric, we're always talking about the fact that people with disabilities need to be represented. They need to have a voice they need to be, as, you know, involved as much as possible. And as I said, we're always looking at employment as well. And so, employment is important. So, people to, looking at people with disabilities in different areas, like in the arts as well, but not just as a fun thing, because we know that there are people out there doing theater, but we want them to be able to be out there doing theater and to get paid for it for it not to just be a hobby, if, if that's the kind of profession they want to be in. So, I mean, I think it's just like always thinking about the different kinds of opportunities we can be developing in the work that we're doing as a disability organization and also working with our partners and doing the same thing. For example, what many of our partners from different cities of Russia come to, come to our film festival. They participate in these different discussions and they bring back these kinds of ideas to their own cities where they can discuss them as well. And they do, As like our film festival, will travel to other cities and they will be uh, hosting the film festival, disability groups, disability organizations. Um, It'll be organizations of parents with disabilities as well, working together with local officials, maybe with universities, to present the festival. I love seeing this movement in other countries where... You know, people with disabilities are saying we take we need to become because you know we want to be we we have we're professional we're actors. You need to hire us I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. one of the issues is Russia. In Russia today, is there aren't that very many there aren't very many actors out there who are
0: professional have the skills. Oh, but... Doing a little comparison, now, just because you have such a unique background of being a U.S. citizen and that having l- lived in Russia for nearly three decades now, how is the Russian? society's attitude towards people with disabilities different from the U.S. attitude, just from your own, you know, limited viewpoints? Yes. Well, I, mean, I think now the attitudes are very similar.
1: Think about what the attitudes were like 30 years ago. If you can imagine what it was like probably in the 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, because people with disabilities were not very visible. Most people with disabilities in the U.S. too were very um, isolated. That's what the attitudes were like here in the 90s. In the, I mean, the 80s, we're seeing a lot of change now, and attitudes have changed immensely. And even, even with the, like the people we work with, with the employers or the potential employers, uh, I can remember employers used to always say things like, "Oh, uh, oh, I have the perfect job for that person." It's like, oh, what, "What do you mean? Oh, it's perfect. It's a desk job. He doesn't have to move very much. He just, you know, he he can be at a computer." And he can just be there all day as if he, you know, and I said, well, wh- why do you think that he doesn't want to move very much? Well, he's in a wheelchair. I said, but he's probably faster than you are and more mobile than you are. You just need to make sure the office is accessible. People just have these attitudes that the person could, can do or whatever can't do. And I think those, I mean, it's, I can't say that they changed uh, totally, but they're they definitely changing because people with disabilities are more, they're out they're there, they're in the community, they're working. Because we're changing attitudes, other disability groups are, are out there, because people with disabilities are much more visible. Not only they're visible on the internet, I think the internet has helped make lots of changes in Facebook and in whatever, in um, Instagram, yeah, I've and all, seen more people with disabilities in media, mainstream media, And so that is changing, definitely changing attitudes of people just, you know, people without disabilities, people just the general attitudes in the community. We see employers, they change their attitudes, change immensely when they have, after they've employed someone with a disability Mm -hmm. or employed, actually, it's actually better after they've employed three people with disabilities because they might employ different people because of course they had these funny perceptions of, oh, this deaf, a person who is deaf, right? And how am I going to communicate with that person well, that's impossible, or this person who has a vision impairment? So I mean, they have these, which are normal. I mean, the kinds of you know stereotypical attitudes. you know, if you've never met anyone, if you've never really dealt with a person,
0: if you have these so what are the core principles that you live by that have caused the success of this organization? Okay, I
1: think one of the core principles for me is building a team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that from day one, I realized that, well, we had very ambitious goals, but you needed it, we needed to have a team. And of course, part of the team for us, it was, you know, we had people with disabilities involved and that was one of our core principles. They have to be not only involved, but be running our programs as well, you know, be in charge. Of, and we have people with and without disabilities running our programs today, but people with disabilities are making, you know, part process, a very important part of the decision making process and running. And many of our key programs are run by people with disabilities, but having them involved in, I mean, from the very start, they were very involved in all of our programs and running and guiding, guiding them and setting, or, I mean, developing the programs, et cetera. So I think that for us as a disability organization, that was one of our key principles in addition to building a team. You always have to be thinking about the lessons learned and making I mean if, okay you, think about small small change too. So I mean, you can't go out there. I mean, when you go out there you think, oh my God, I want to change the world. <laughs> but you don't change the world by making, but I mean you change the world by making small change. And the small change builds. so you make it's like little bricks. you're building this wall. I mean, it's not a wall you're building, obviously, but it, you're you're making change. But you're always reflecting on what you've done and looking at the lessons learned. And I've tried to, he's talking about this when we, uh, when I'm with my team, our team managers, is that you're, when you're developing your programs, first of all, you always have to look at your, the people you're developing the programs for and how it's changing their lives, how it's impacting them, improving their lives, et cetera. But you're always reflecting on what you can do better, how you can improve. What are the lessons? Like always doing this kind of an evaluation of what's happening, to make it better, to always you know um, do it, you know do it better. And getting the team involved in that. I mean, I think that's very important, too, is when your team is, is you know you want your team to be involved in that in these discussions of how to make uh, things improve. And I think also because you've got, you know you're looking at what it's happening on the ground. And, and people, there are people who are closer to what's really happening and people who might be a little farther away. And you always want to be listening to what's going on and, you know, and using that information to, to improve what you're doing. So I guess that's important too, but having, I think your, your goals, but mean, our, even over the years, our goals have changed slightly, but I think we've expanded our goals. I mean, our goals have always been <clears throat> inclusion. But in the beginning, maybe we're looking more at people with intellectual, with um, with physical disabilities, and we're like, wait, we can't just look at that. We have to expand and look at the lives of so all people with disabilities and how we can kind of help them um, within the programs we do. Because once you choose your programs, I and mean, I think you've got it, that's another thing. You kind of have to realize you can't do everything. So when you have the programs you're doing, working within them, these you know areas, for example, leadership, you choose... The activities you can you do looking at the kind of resources you have, the staff you have, and and the kinds of changes you want to make, like our empowerment program. I mean we choose what we want to do, but you can expand, but you always have to look and say, wait a minute, at some point, stop. Do we have the resources to do this? Do we have, can we do that well? And then you say, no, let's stop. We wanna continue working in this area. I mean, like we've decided to work on, we've been doing unemployment. And I think, you know, in our employment program, and we've expanded, continued to work on it, but we've always, people have said, oh, why don't you do social entrepreneurship? We're like, well, that's a little different. We're doing inclusive employment. So we've always had to c- c- tell ourselves, no, we want to do, continue doing inclusive employment. It's an important area, and we need to keep improving because it's not like we're employing thousands and thousands of people. And, we can sh- and sharing our experiences, I think that's another important value is sharing our experiences others so that they if they want to do what we're doing that's great supporting other groups to do it sometimes we have funding to do that too so sharing and supporting other groups i mean in a big country like russia that's important but the final thing i wanted to say and you said it at the very beginning and i thought that was very important you talked about me doing this but it's not just me doing it it's me doing it together with my team it's it's starting it and you really have to continue developing it it's like the systemic approach I mean, you when you start, you have to keep building on your experiences, growing, developing, and you don't want to give up, because that's when you see the success.
0: Orly, what are the key ingredients to progress at Perspectiva? So it's a similar question, but now that you you know have that progress and momentum, how do you keep it going and and make it better and better? Staying on track. <laughs> uh, I think having what we have more of a collective
1: decision making process. I think that's important as well. What's I think it's been important is having in our situation, I have people who are running each of our programs. So it's people being very involved and they have teams who are running the programs. And of course there are people with disabilities on all of these teams. I think that's important for them to be really involved in the decision making process. I think public education, that's something I didn't mention. We're always working with the media, we're working, we we work with the social media, et cetera, as well, and raising awareness and educating people about what we're doing, but also about people in our programs and their successes. I think that's also key for our success. And one thing I did mention, which I think is also very important, is all the partners we work with. So it's partners in different areas, that includes our sponsors, And so working with them to really make the change, because I think we see them as as true as true partners in this process of, Mm -hmm. you know, making changes in the community and they see us as partners as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that partnership is very important key to making change and to being successful.
0: Yeah, I think you definitely need to write a book because we didn't even scratch the surface here. And there are many of us who can benefit from your experience in Russia. And I've learned so much. And I know that our listeners will learn a lot as well. So thank you for taking the time. You're
1: welcome. Thank you, Ming. Bye-bye.
0: I only know what it's like in America huh? And shutting doors. I don't think that's right. I Thanks for listening to another Trips and Global on Wheels like Podcast Hour. Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey, and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must-haves. Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips and Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates. That means we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send us an email at tgowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel. How do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries? What language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability? We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the Contact Us section of our website or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.